Hey, it's Michael, and welcome to another podcast episode. Before I get into today's episode, we wanted to make an offer to you. If you go to firmsconsulting.com, you will see a pop-up or you'll see a place to add in your email address or you can register on the Firms Consulting website. If you register onto that website, you get put into an exclusive list. And what you get in that exclusive list is samples of the content we have available to FC Insiders. So that said, I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hi, Patricia. Welcome to the show. Hi, Michael. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, we're happy to have you. It's very rare that we get an accomplished actress who's, write, who's written a best-selling book and who runs a communication firm. So you have sort of the trifecta going there. Ah, well, I don't know if actress is really the best title there. Yes. I've certainly done some acting. <laughs> it's been you know, more in the broadcasting and communications yes. end of the industry, but certainly uh, some acting is there for sure. So the audience probably doesn't know you very well because we have so many guests on the show. Maybe give us a brief rundown of your career and how you ended up becoming someone who's coaching people on communication. Sure. So I went to college for journalism and communications and a minor in marketing. And I started my career working in front of the camera, doing news, doing um, different types of media for uh, corporations that had in-house uh, programming uh, or uh, different types of videos for training, things like that. And I went along probably about 20 years doing that. And one day I was at a, a corporate shoot and I was there to be the moderator and interviewer. And some of the executives came down to be interviewed and to also read teleprompter. And they just were struggling. They couldn't read the prompter without sounding like they were reading. They were nervous. They were coming across stiff, just not engaging, not approachable, uh, not uh, just very awkward. And I started coaching them by default because, frankly, I didn't want to be there till midnight. And I knew that I could give them some tips that would help us all get through the shoot. And it went very well. And about a week later, they called me and said, you know, we, we appreciate your work coming in, working as a moderator or host or presenter, but that worked really well for our team. Would you ever come back just to do some training? And that was my... You call it the light bulb moment when yes. I realized I'm going to hang my shingle and also be a coach and trainer and then did what I had to do to educate myself more on what were those things that I would need. I uh, spoke with some peers in the industry that were doing media training and public speaking training. And while I had been using all the skills myself and for many years having proficiency in them, I needed to now know how to train others. And I've just hung that shingle and learned as I went and said yes to things and figured them out and uh, established a, a pretty good business over the last 18 years. So our primary audience uh, would be senior decision makers in industry, management consulting, private equity. You can name the gambit of sort of white collar employment. And they often struggle with what I call a common trap whereby they focus on their technical skills, which gets them to about the age they're 35. And then when they get to 35, they notice they're not progressing as rapidly as possible and it always comes down to the fact that they struggle to be seen as leaders. Their communication skills are not where it needs to be. So my question here would be, you've worked with people 
that have these problems, these gaps and deficits, opportunities maybe is a better word. What do you think are the common reasons why people don't see this as a gap? I think so much of our success many times is behind the scenes. It's behind closed doors. It's not necessarily always happening in front of big groups. And we're so much focused on what happens behind the scenes. And that is really where the magic happens, whether it is someone building a career in whatever industry or doing that quiet solitude that's work where you're, you're, you're getting that out from your brain and, and either yes. a product service or on paper. And then we don't have to necessarily have those skills for a long time. Yeah. And then when we do, we can be so cerebral, so internal that we're forgetting to make those human connections. I've worked with many CEOs who obviously had great track records and great resumes, but yet there was this disconnect. I had one uh, come into my room that needed to do these videos. It was almost like a video newsletter each week. He didn't even really know when I said, well, who is your audience? Who are you specifically speaking to? And he said, I don't know. I just show up. They write the script for me and I read it. And I'm like, well, that's what it sounds like. (laughs) And that's how it's coming across. (laughs) And there's no connection. You're not even thinking about who you're talking to and why do they care and why is it important to them? And I just find also that there's a lot of people that are natural introverts. They're not necessarily the the butterfly, the the working the, the room and things like that. They're highly effective at what they do, but they either just aren't good at that because they haven't needed to be, or their personality is more, uh, just not that. And even though they may not feel that they have that in them, I will say to them, well, when you're really passionate and really excited about just sharing something with a family member or a friend, how do you act? You're not all official and sterile and, and sanitized and monotone and coming across like that as, as, so much work worrying about sounding like authority and credible, you are sharing something that you are passionate and excited about. Well, that should be in your business as well. The people that want to follow someone want to be motivated and want to see someone that is living their passion and that it's this contagious enthusiasm that builds this fire. If you don't have a fire in your belly, how are people going to have that following you yes you raised a good point here you talked about the ceo as one example whereby he came in and he read a script and he wasn't thinking about his audience when i talk to clients executives and so on about what are they thinking when they're presenting they're often thinking about themselves and how they come across and, and almost none of them will tell me well i'm thinking about that executive and how they're going to react to what i'm saying I'm thinking about in a meeting with 10 people, there are three people I need to influence. I need to watch their body language. It's really hard to get out of our heads. How do we get out of our heads? It is very hard to get out of our heads, especially if we're putting a very high price on something and we're saying, I can't say this. I have to say this. This is, there's a lot riding on this. There's all this pressure that we put on ourselves, but you It's true. If you're in the spotlight and you're in front of the room, a boardroom, on stage, on camera, on virtual, yes, it is spotlight on you. So you have to be prepared. You have to be ready for whatever that uh, 
mode of, of communication yes. is. So framing, you know, have your act together, look and sound the part, be prepared. But when you truly are prepared, only then can you let go of all of that and get out of your own way and then really be 100% present to truly have the mindset of, I'm here to give value, I'm here to be of service. And when you can come from that place, it's that old saying that some people may know of people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And when people get the sense that it's not the all about you show, that you're there, flaws and all, imperfections and all, but if your energy and your delivery says, I care and I'm here for you and I'm here to help you in some way, whether it is to benefit you in some way, to inspire you, to motivate you, to educate you so that you can be better and that I want these things for you, for us as a team, you can almost trip and fall in the front of a room and on stage mm -hmm. and people will forget that because when they leave the room, they have, will have left with something that they can sink their teeth into that can either help them take action or be better educated about something or be more inspired about something. I like what you're saying, because from what I've seen is most people have created a template in their mind of how they should appear. And it's often professional perfection. And that's what they're trying to go for professional perfection, where they look a certain way, they stand a certain way, but they're not paying attention to whether they're connecting with someone. And oftentimes when you, when you connect with someone who is imperfect, you've got to show your imperfections as well. Yes. And most people don't want to show their imperfections. They think it's a sign of weakness. Yeah. Yes. I had one executive at a glass company uh, out in, um, in, in Midwest somewhere, uh, Detroit, and he would not smile yeah. at all. <laughs> and I would put him on video and he'd be so official. It was painful. And I was like, you know, when you're, what you provide is of great value. It's solution oriented. It is something that in, in his particular case made buildings beautiful, made work environments sunny and bright and, and open. And so much goodness that their products and services were bringing, especially to corporate environments. Yes. And he was coming across so, and, and, I found out through conversation that his background had had him believe that smiling was a sign of weakness. Might have served him well in a past life at one point yes. in his career or what he was involved with. It didn't here. I said, in this case, when what you're offering literally is brightness and clarity. Yeah, literally, literally. Literally, <laughs> not smiling is a sign of weakness. And we spent the rest of the day, it was probably a group of about 14 executives. We spent the rest of the day doing different things, different drills. And at one point I had everyone tell just a story, like what was the yes. funniest thing that happened to you or something funny from your, your family or something. And I didn't tell them that the cameras were rolling. And I just let everybody get up and do that. And then he did it and he was like a completely different person. So then what I quickly did at one point was I showed the first video where he was monotone, monotone yes. facial expressions, just no spark, no energy, no human connection. And then I quickly showed him just talking off the cuff when he didn't know that the camera was rolling yes. and his jaw dropped on the floor. He needed to see the difference for himself. And he was shocked. 
And once he saw that, how engaging he was, how the people in the room responded, they were laughing, they were getting along. And everybody liked him because he was pretty good to get along with in, in, the, in the company interpersonal skills wise. Yes. But it was the presentations where everything changed. That was a huge turning point for him. What I find fascinating about the way you work is a lot of it is about psychology. Yes. It's, uh, you, you obviously have a lot of technical skills to teach people how to speak and move their jaw and so on. And it's clear you know those things. But it seems that to unlock someone, there's some event in their past that locks them down in a certain way. And you've got to find that event and, and unleash that. Is it a good way of thinking about it? It absolutely is. I had one client who grew up in the Philippines. She had apparently, I won't give too much detail because I don't want to let away what it was. She was apparently at a young, as a, at a young age on stage representing the country in one way or another. And she had a very bad experience uh, and pretty much failed at what she was doing. And she was really shunned and she ended up moving away Wow. living in the United States and hadn't thought about this for decades. And now all of a sudden at an older age where now she was a much more mature woman, had a lot of great stuff on her resume, had achieved a lot of things, all of a sudden had some big opportunity to be on national television and was freezing in her boots. And through conversation, what we realized was that she was reliving this experience over and over. She was becoming that child again in her mind every time she thought about this new opportunity and this new spotlight that she was about to yes. be asked to step in front of. And because I am not a uh, psychologist, I'm not a doctor of psychology, I do have a lot of mentors who are, and I have taken certain certification programs with them and things. And I'm always very careful to tell my people that I am not a doctor, but that I do work within positive, positive psychology to a certain degree. Yes. So I have people that I will consult with. I, so I called up one of my psychologist, good, dear friends and mentors, and I explained this to him. And he said, you need to put her through an exercise uh, where we're going to have her visualize literally meeting her younger self yes, and saying goodbye and saying, I'm no longer you. I have achieved all these things. I've grown as a woman. I've had all these additional experiences and it's time for me to part ways with you. You served me well for a while trying to protect me like the inner critic does, but now it's time for me to say goodbye to you and let go. And we went through, it was like a form of self-dosis. That's what I was trying to get to before. And we went through this and I create a very safe space in the room that I'm in when I'm working one-on-one -on -one with somebody. She was open to the idea. He, my mentor explained to me how to work her through this, which is just very effective visualization skills for anyone. And it's not that hard of a idea to grasp. Well, not only did it make a big impact in our session, but we suggested that she try to do this as she's going to sleep at night, do this a few times mm -hmm. as like a, a, a skill that she would repeat, an exercise she would repeat over and over. It really made a dramatic difference for her. It helped her get out of her own way. She had been carrying this in her, in her subconscious for so long that that actually became her comfort zone. I talk about how you know, comfort zones are not always positive places. We yes. talk about wanting to be in our comfort zone. But if your comfort zone is a negative place that does not serve you well, that keeps reinforcing old beliefs, well, now you need to, that is no longer 
even though it feels like it, is no longer a zone you want to stay in. And by doing this visualization and these techniques of saying goodbye to that past experience and her younger self, she could finally step into the woman who had she, she had become and really take an inventory of why she now has earned the right to be in that spotlight as an adult. And that made all the difference for her. That's a great story. And as you were talking through that, I was thinking about the word comfort zone. She wasn't born with that comfort zone. She created an identity whereby she's comfortable being that person who cannot speak in public because we, we don't know anything and we are born, right? We have no skills. We go through some experiences and we give it some meaning. In this case, she, she had had this traumatic event. It became her identity. She had the skills to speak, but until you found a way to change that identity, she was not able to act on those skills. Right. And think of how much, you know, none of us are perfect. None of yes. us come from perfect families. We've all had people that we love and care about or admire. Give us bad advice. Give us yes. bad labels. Yes. Tell us who we are when they are lucky that they're mastering their own selves. And yet we take it to heart. We believe it. We internalize it. And we agree with it. Yes. How often have all of us done that at some point in our personal and professional development? Yes. And what I like about the way you're doing it, even though you don't say it, I can see it in your personality, is that one of the most important skills to influence someone is you cannot judge them. Because when you judge someone, they just close down and you become one of the many people that judge them. And they put you into this corner and they say, you're just picking on me. But I can see the, the, the actions and the way you speak, you, I, you actually understand that. And your role is not to judge, but to say, this is the reality. We're just going to have to work with it and find a way to move forward. And I think that's the best way to, to help people overcome whatever challenges they have. Right. Because coaches and trainers would literally not have a job if people weren't able to learn and grow. Yes. So you, I think having a growth mindset and knowing that you always have the opportunity to learn and grow and become, and to be able to see that in other people for them is, is the key to living and advancing throughout your life. I hope that I continue to learn and grow to while I'm 103. I am always looking at what other people are doing, whether they're coaches and trainers or authors, because I don't want to ever think I have all of the answers. And I don't want to think I have all the answers about myself either. I think that we're all here to continually learn and grow. And as soon as we believe something, and that's what we identify with, we've locked ourselves in. And that is not what life is meant to be. Yes, people who continuously are willing to learn and not just read, learn and implement it will always do better than those who think they know everything. Because the more and more you learn, obviously, the better you get. But switching gears, I'm quite interested to know how you handle this. So typically, when I work with executive clients, they have a story in their mind about why they cannot succeed about something, whether it's about strategy, whether it's about presenting and so on. And I noticed that when I first started working with senior people, I would let them tell me why they couldn't succeed. But then I noticed that was a pattern. And if you let them keep playing that pattern, they just get comfortable explaining why they couldn't succeed. And then I had to develop ways to break that pattern. Mm -hmm. 
So if I let someone go into a long discussion about why they couldn't succeed, that's a 20 minute discussion. Do you also find a situation whereby clients get into a pattern that prevents them from being able to communicate and you have to break that pattern? How do you do that? Yes. I think it's a very individualized thing. Yes. I think that certain techniques will resonate better with some people than others. I think it's building that relationship and trying to really get to know the person the best that you can. In one of my coaching certifications, they were very clear on explaining that you know, people really do have their answers. Like I'm not just here yes. to give you the answers. You have them and your answer may not be what I think your answer is. So sometimes it's through questioning of saying, so then what has to change for you to be able to be fill in the blanks? Yes. What, has, what could you do to become this? What could you change or learn that would then make you capable of that. I have one current client that is based out of California that wants to create content for social media and for YouTube and the web on her expertise. And she is normally a very introverted, soft-spoken person. And she just kept saying to me over and over, no, this is who I am. This is who I am. She didn't want to accept that something else was possible. Yes. And I said, well, do you want to really do this? Do you want to connect with people? Do you want to use video as a medium? Yes. Okay. Well, but here's what that requires. And she just kept repeating the same thing over and over. So then I would put her on videotape. I would help her stretch. I would say, you know, just go over the top, be something that you think is totally inappropriate, be something that you think is not your personality that you'd be embarrassed about, or that you'd think with thought this, that, or the other thing. And it never failed that she would go through these different exercises and it would never be what she thought it was. Yes. It would just be the energy we needed or the engagement we needed or the, the good, nice personality that was engaging. And each time, you know, we dial it up just a little bit. So it wasn't trying to make her go from one extreme to the other. And by playing back the video and, and helping her see that these things could work for her, that there was this part of her personality that she could tap into. And by also knowing that it wasn't some stranger, it wasn't an act, she she wasn't putting on her broadcaster hat or presenter hat. It was just a part of her personality that was in there that needed to be tapped into. Because I also find that people want to feel genuine. They want to feel that I'm not putting on an act or a show. It, to feel authentic is really important, but sometimes you need to just do it in increments over time. And when I work with people and, and I'm able to show them video from the very first session to a much later session, and they see that progress. And sometimes they see, oh, it's like I'm a different person. And I'm like, no, you're not a different person. You just fully gave yourself permission and allowed yourself the process and the time to develop that part of you that was in there, but needed to come out and needed your permission and needed to be eased into rather than putting it on. And, you know, people will say that saying fake it till you make it. And I'm like, no, mm-hmm. learn it till you earn it. You know, try things on for size so that by the time you get there, it feels comfortable and not forced. And it's always such a rewarding thing for me to, to see those, that progress side by side. And I just worked with her today before speaking with you. And she looked at me, she's like, I, I'm just, I can't believe that that's me, but at least it, it feels right. It doesn't feel 
like something that I was trying to pretend I was being. Yeah, I like that example. I noticed your teaching style. I mean, coaching maybe is a better word. I've spoken to many coaches and a lot of them work on what I call the rational dimension. They explain the problem to a client. And I noticed that you use video a lot. You show the problem. You get them to see it for themselves as opposed to explaining, 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 because people just can't get the explanation sometimes. They have to see the progress. They have to see how they've developed. And do you find that works better for you just showing them the video feedback and getting them to see it for themselves? I do, because I think, first of all, there's different people with different learning styles. Some people are auditory, some people are very visual. But I would say that for the most part, as a world now, we are all learning and being on video in more ways than we ever were in the past because of the pandemic and and, and other reasons. So I think that we're getting used to it. We are we are becoming visual if we weren't. Um, but I, I had clients that I would work with that I had one woman that was going on the Today Show here in, the, in, in New York at once a week. And I would work with her before going on. And this was going on for a couple of weeks. She was like a regular guest for a certain a segment that they were doing. And I started to notice there weren't a lot of changes happening on things that we worked toward. And I'd say to her, well, I sent you the clips. You had them. What did you see or what did you try to change? And she said, oh, I've been too busy. I haven't been watching the clips. So she was taking notes. She was Mm -hmm. hearing me. But I can talk till I am blue in the face. If someone doesn't see it for themselves, it's not going to take root. It's not going to be that aha moment of them seeing it and being like, oh, now I see what she was talking about. Now I hear what she was talking about. And once she started watching them, because I was like, you have to, you have to do this homework. All of a sudden, everything started to fall in place and change. And all the things that we had been working on, it was just a tipping point for her. So there's nothing that I think that self-trust. And I, and I talk about this in, in, in my book and, and, and with my clients that when you trust yourself, you worry less about how you're looking and sounding because you just know it. You know your tools. You know your microphone of your body, which is your voice. Yes. You know your nonverbal communication style. You know your presence and your energy. And when you study yourself on video, you no longer shun it. You no longer feel it's awkward. It's not a, it's not a, a thing about being conceited. It's not about staring and gaze at yourself and saying, oh, look at how wonderful I sound and look. No, it's, it's knowing your communications toolkit inside and out so that when you step in front of a room or an audience or a client or a coworker, you don't have to be so self-monitoring and self-focused and, and be second-guessing yourself because you, you know who you are and how you come across and therefore you trust yourself. And what happens when we trust ourselves? other people trust us. Yes. You're also, when you trust yourself, you are yourself right? because you give yourself permission to be yourself. And you no longer, you know, one of the challenges I've had with clients is that they typically go through an MBA route and they speak a certain language that everyone speaks, but they don't understand the language. Mm-hmm. They use words that sound nice, but if you think to yourself, what did this person actually said? Well, they actually said nothing just stitch together some words. And I always tell people that if you want to connect with people, imagine you're explaining something to an eight-year-old. Yes. Just speak in the simplest possible language that you can ever imagine and say what you want to say. Don't say things that you think people want to hear. 
Yeah. Well, I think because people often feel that they need to sound self-important. They want to sound intelligent. They want to, they want that approval. So they yes. almost are putting their whole resume out there in the way that they speak and present themselves. And it really is a turnoff because you're forgetting to just have a human conversation with another human being. That's, it's so important. And many times when I work with uh, guest experts or someone that's going to be uh, presenting and, you know, I use a very similar, similar analogy that you just used. And I'll say, just put your teacher's hat on. Yeah. If you really want to help people and really want to give value and you want to show them what you know, be that, be that teacher or mentor that you really like, that you admired, but you liked them as a person, but you learned from them. And yes. that person probably was someone who you could tell cared, who was not thinking about what you thought about them. Their main goal was that they were there to help you. Yes, that makes sense. But people don't do that because in a lot of society, the more confusing you are, people think you're more valuable. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but that's how the world tends to work. But switching gears, I wonder if you've also noticed this. I once had a client, a very smart lady, doing very well in the legal profession and so on. And I was coaching her on how to present herself as a leader. And we we're not making a lot of progress until one day she did a video call with me and she, she introduced me to her roommates. And then I understood all the problems she's having. Because one of the things we forget is that we role model people we like. And if you are surrounded by the wrong role models, you pick up really bad habits. And one of the things I've always told people is make sure you role model the right people for communication the same way you role model famous investors. You know, everyone wants to follow the famous investors for retiring, but what about communication? Who are the people you are role modeling? And it's not just role modeling what they say and what they do. You also have to role model the questions they're asking themselves, yes. how they manage their lives. And we don't, you know, I've seen that's a very powerful technique to ask someone who is your role model for communication. Yes. And they may not even have one. Well, they, they usually don't have one that, that they're aware of, but they do have one that they respect and they're trying to be like them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you bring up such a good point because just because you think that they're your definition of success or where you think you want to be, you don't really know the behind the scenes of that. Exactly. Instance, I had, I've had clients who will try to emulate a particular broadcaster or yes. journalist or television host. And I had one time that someone was, was giving me an example. And just by luck, I happened to be with an agent in a meeting prior to that who represented this client. And this client was about to get fired and didn't even know it. And I got that inside information and I'm thinking, here you are emulating somebody who think, you think is great, but they're about to lose their job. Exactly. That's a big thing that in the area where we operate, where there's all these powerful executives, a lot of people don't like to admit they role model someone. But everyone finds someone else cool. And the person you think is cool is the person you're going to try to replicate. So you have to be careful of who you think is cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's always better to think about several examples of people of why they resonate with you why you like certain things and then just take those pieces yes that work for you and add them to your own personal fingerprint to help kind of round out who you want to be 
but coming from your own point of view and not trying to just mimic someone's style over here. If you take pieces that work for you, and usually, usually the reason that things strike us is because it is something that we either see in ourselves or, or obviously hope to see in ourselves, or it could be many, many reasons. But to take a conglomerate of those things is always better than putting all your eggs in one basket with someone, again, that you don't even really know the behind the scenes that's happening over there. Yeah, that's very good advice. I, it's almost like it's like you're cooking a dish, which is your own life, but you got to take a little bit of salt from different places to enhance your dish. It's not to create a new dish. Let's switch gears a little bit here. A lot of people are on Zoom at the moment. The world is run through Zoom. Communication is difficult on Zoom. What advice do you give for clients who are, you know, stretched thin, working through Zoom? How do you help them communicate better? Yeah, I think it's important to plan your time well. I know that's not always easy. We're all yes. doing a lot of things. And I think that sometimes people think because things are Zoom, they can you know, stack a bunch of, of meetings back to back to back to back. I know I find for myself that I need to still make sure that I take a few moments, if it's back to back Zooms or I'm doing something else and then about to come into a Zoom, I really need to check my state of body, mind, yes. spirit, before I go into a communications. Take a deep breath, reset, clear my mind, make sure that I show up ready and clean slate in between each. And then to know that this is replacing being in person and that I want to still build rapport, still be engaging. When I first pivoted to Zoom in March of 2020, I remembered thinking, how am I going to create the same rapport with my clients yes. and this space and this energy and things? And I was very uncertain and you know, a bit skeptical. And then I've had this one client that I've had now over the last year and a half, and we've built such a bond. We don't see each other every week, but we see each other enough. And she was about to come to New York for the first time, and we were going to meet. And it suddenly dawned on me, I, I almost couldn't believe that we had, hadn't met in person before. I got to think about it and I was like, yes. wow, we were able to, to overcome that. So it obviously is possible, but I think also dealing with the technology, understanding what the limitations are and what we're yes. dealing with. Like one thing that drives me a little bit insane is when people stare down below and don't make the eye contact. Yes. And it, I know it's difficult to just stare into the camera, but this is what not only is going to make people feel like you're having great eye contact with them, which is a skill in person, a skill that we always need to make that one-on-one -on -one human connection. But even when I'm listening, I try not to look at the person. If, I'm, if I need to be critiquing their facial expression or their body language or their gestures, obviously I have to be constant, concentrating yes. on that. But if I'm speaking and I'm engaged with somebody, I want, even if we have video, I want them to see me, to see that I'm listening, even when I'm not speaking. So it's really difficult to resist the urge to look at the boxes, but that eye contact and committing to being with that lens. And I think it, it's, it was easier for me as a person that has background in broadcasting. I'm used to looking at the black hole of a lens and not seeing my viewers, yeah. or my audience or my person. So I got used to that early. 
But now this is our connection. That eye contact is, is hugely important for not just speaking, but also for listening skills. And I think it's also, again, to say to yourself, I am fully present with them right now. I'm not going to do multitasking. I'm not going to let other distract. I'm going to, I have to commit to doing all of those things I would do if I was in person with this other person or people. So when you answered this question, you started off talking about what I think was the most important thing. You talked about being in the right state. Because if your state is one of, well, I've got to do this call, I've got to rush through it. Maybe I can answer some messages while I'm doing the call, set up my dog walking, pay some bills. That's the wrong state. Right there, you've already, before you even started the call or any meeting, you've set yourself up to fail. Because the goal of any meeting is to connect with someone. But if you've got the wrong state, it leads you to the wrong actions which leads to the wrong outcomes. You know, one piece of advice I always tell clients is that when you go into a meeting on Zoom or anywhere in life, actually never arrive late. And I'll tell you why you never arrive late because it immediately puts you on the back foot. Yes. And when you're on the back foot, it's not about who has leverage. It's the fact that you are so flustered, you can't be yourself. And it just spirals out of control from there. And I once worked with a client whereby he would come in late for every single meeting. And I told him, look, the reason you're struggling is not because anything that's wrong here. It's because you feel bad that you are late. And because you feel bad, you act in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you almost seek an apology or you try to show me that you didn't mean to offend me. But all of that distracts from the fact that we can't build a connection. You've built a barrier here. There's, I'm not worried that you're coming late. I'm your coach. You can come 10 minutes late. But in your mind, you think there's a barrier here. So we talked about state, and I think state is very important because if you start with the wrong state, everything just goes wrong after that. Agreed. And and my reaction when someone is always late is I feel that then they're a bit scatterbrained. Yeah. They can be incredibly intelligent, but I feel that it's it's a scatterbrained type of. And then there were, and then my father would always say, "Don't be late because then you're always playing catch up." Yes. And you arrive in that kind of, of, of how you're showing up. I think just from the time that we're talking, I think that I would get the sense that you would agree that energy is everything. Yes. Energy that we put out there, the energy that we show up with. And you want to make sure that you're giving people your best and that calm and that confidence that I talk about that has turned into the title of column for, yes. for, for my book. That is the foundation of not just you showing up for yourself in a way where you make better decisions, you think straight, you can really be fully present, but that will affect the people that are, are with you and around you, whether it's virtually or not. And what is the greatest gift that we can give anyone is our full undivided attention. Yes, absolutely. You know, one example, whenever I deal with call centers, people are always surprised how much free stuff I get. And and they always wonder, how do you do that? How do you get the calls to last only 10 minutes when they make me stay on the line for one hour? And there's a technique I use. When someone picks up in a call center, I always ask them, what can I do to make this the best call you're going to have for the day? Love and then the dynamic completely shifts. I love that. Because they've never heard that before. And even if they do a bad job, I'll coach them through the call and say, okay, I know you want this information, but this information is actually going to help you 
end this call 30 minutes faster. So let me give you this first. Try it. If it doesn't work, then I'll give you the other information. So I actually coach call center people. Yeah. That's and and it's not about it's not about me. It's actually, I'm being selfish if you think about it. I'm trying to get as much as I can, but I'm doing it in a way where it's an alignment of interests. Yes. They want this call to go well so they can get a good rating, help a customer, gives them five-star reviews. And I want to get what I want out of this, which is usually some free stuff. And I'm going to get it anyway, but without screaming at them. Right. Right. And, and, and along those lines, you're also being pleasant to deal with. You're coming from a positive energy place. You're speaking to them like they're a human being and not just someone that is there to serve you and get something done for you. It, it just in the, it's all in the delivery. It's all how we treat people. Yes. And, you know, the golden rule is, oh, how would you want to be treated? But the platinum rule is how does another person want to be treated? And when we come into any situation with positivity and respect and being pleasant, it's like a breath of fresh air because you can guarantee they had to probably deal with however many people that were not like that today. Yes, most were not like that. Right. And, and the interesting thing about it is that, you know, I coach many people, as do you, and they always tell me, I went into this meeting and the energy wasn't great. So why didn't you change the energy? Mm -hmm. If the energy wasn't great, you can change the energy. You're an equal participant. In any meeting, the one who has energy and certainty will always influence the other party. Yes. That's just what I've seen throughout life. It's not based on any data, but in, I've been in many meetings. The person who has energy and it's authentic energy and they're certain about what they want, they will almost always get the outcome they want. And this is about state. You know, we always, when you talk about communication, a lot of our audience focuses on technical skills. And I always say, well, First, you've got to believe you're going to do this mm -hmm. so you can influence the other party to think you can do this. Yes. Because most times people are not worried about your technical skills because the other party cannot judge your technical skills. They don't have the ability. But what they can judge is you as a person in those five minutes. Yes. They can judge your body language. Do you smile with your eyes? Do you come across as authentic? Do you mean well? Do you put their needs first? Do you compromise? Those are simple, those are not skills as opposed to a state like what you mentioned. Yeah. And you're likable. I mean, studies show even that doctors with good bedside manner yeah. are not sued in malpractice suits as much as doctors who do not have good bedside manner, even if they are better skilled than the doctor who has that better rapport. But the patient doesn't know anything about skills. He just knows, was the doctor nice to me? Right. I remember I had a doctor in Canada who would, he was the only doctor I knew who would put his pad down and talk to me about his weekend. He used to run some gaming business and he'd talk to me about it. And the other doctors, they come in and they, they don't ever make eye contact with you. As you mentioned, no eye contact. And which doctor do you think you, you like more or you think has greater skills? The one who talked to you even though you don't know their skills level, right? You have no idea who is the superior doctor. Yes, but along these lines, and this is where it can get dicey, is that we enter a space with someone that might not have great people skills or interpersonal yes. skills, communication skills. And we judge them. Not just that, yes, but yeah. we also do something else naturally as human beings, and that is mirroring. And yes. 
And that is true. So what the, the <laughs> risk is there is that sometimes we minimize ourselves or we get into the mode that that person is yes. because we naturally want to. It's like our, our knee-jerk reaction to build rapport is through mirroring, but we could be doing something that's only going to make the situation worse. And when I work with, just an example, when I've worked with, let's say they're television hosts that I've coached in the past and they're looking to match up for chemistry. Let's say it's going to be a male and a female or two males or female, whatever it may be. And they're, and I've coached people for an audition situation and I've put them through these exercises. And it's amazing how if one person is kind of low key and just very official, how all of a sudden the other person will start being that way. And I'll be like, no, 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 no. Don't minimize yourself to match them. That's when you have to shine even more and maximize yourself and that's something that people need to to know that if you're coming into the situation going back to what you said earlier change the temperature of the room yeah. don't just match because that's your impulse realize that no elevate it bring everything up to where you know that you can bring it and most of the time you can bring up that vibe and that energy and that positivity in the room rather than just matching is easy and mirroring is something that we're going to automatically do but once you know that you're capable of bringing that to a different level that's going to be better for everyone then you won't be so afraid or so conditioned to just settle for what is yes that's true i mean i couldn't have said it any better than what you've said i remember reading the biography of steve jobs i forget who wrote the book i think it was walter isaacson and I noticed that when Steve Jobs, when he wants to have any meeting, he takes a walk. He never has meetings in the office if he can have the meeting outside. And I remember trying to replicate that. And one of the things I've noticed is that when you're in a meeting with people, they focus on the personalities and the content. But when you go for a walk, they're more playful because they notice a bird, they notice something else, there's something distracting the energy levels. So what I've noticed is that the, the tip here is that if you can't bring the energy level in, go to a place that substitutes the energy level because you get far better ideas when you get distracted by something outside, no one takes things personally, there's natural innovation, something triggers a memory, you look at something. So we talked about energy and some people will say, well, I can't bring in natural energy, but you can't have the meeting in a place yes. that forces the energy levels up. I agree. That's very true. It makes me think of advice I had been given. I have, I have a son who's 18 and he's an only child and we're very close and he's basically been my 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 project of communication and interpersonal <laughs> skills and making good eye contact and having all of those things and I glow when I get that feedback from people but many years ago someone had said to me they're like sometimes you need just a different a different setting to even get someone to open up and talk. So rather than putting him on the spot at the dinner table or sitting somewhere and discussing something, I learned when he was younger, go outside and throw the ball, play basketball, talk, go for a hike or whatever. And it was amazing how I didn't even have to push to get him to open up in those circumstances. It yes. Flowed like the gate was open. Whereas if I made it that more official structured environment, it didn't happen that way. Yes, because the focus is on him. If it's if you book a meeting at 6 p.m. and say, this is family time, we're going to talk about 
development needs and how you're doing. This is the agenda. We have 20 minutes to focus on this. It just makes it stressful. Right. That just made a business meeting. Sound yeah, I just made a business meeting with your son. I mean, the guy is only 18 years old. And he's already in a business meeting. But the, the, the point is that this started from us discussing state energy. Things we take for granted because you ate so many times and we always say, well, all these self-help coaches always talk about state. It doesn't mean anything, but of course it means something. You know, if you watch rugby, there's a famous rugby team called the New Zealand All Blacks from New Zealand. And they do a dance called the Haka, which is a dance they do, which is a warrior dance from the Maori tribe. Can you believe the state it puts them in when they do that dance? And can you imagine the state of fear it puts in their opponents when they see that dance? And we all know this, when you listen to certain music, you feel good. When you listen to other music, you feel bad. When you watch certain shows, you feel good. When your significant other tells you something in a certain way, you either feel good or bad. So we know state is a, is a fact, but what we miss is the ability to call on the state we need when we need it. I think that's the skill people miss. I always tell people, if I'm sad, I know exactly what song I'm going to listen to and I'm going to feel like I'm going to take over the world. And I always encourage people, find that song that if you feel bad, puts you in the right state. It's so true. And it's such, it's almost, I, I don't want to overstate this. It's almost a magical technique it's almost a silver bullet it's all I, I'm, I'm just going to throw a bunch of terms yeah. out there that if we have this ability and we're not utilizing this thing that can make such a big difference and think about what causes most stress and anxiety is the sense of not being in control of things we can't control there's yes. so much going on in the world in business with other people that we just simply have no control over but the one thing that we have control, complete control over is the thoughts we choose to think, what we choose to focus on, and what state of mind we're going to choose to have right now. Sometimes it may be take effort yes. to switch into that. But if, that, if we have that power in us to actually control that of how we feel, how we show up, to control that calm, to control that inner feeling and dialogue and energy and all of those things. And we know that this is something that we can tap into. How ridiculous does it sound to not make use of that? Well, it sounds ridiculous because people don't do it, right? It's not hard to do. The problem is a lot of the world, people around the world, they allow people to hijack their state. You get a bad email and you, you get sad. It, it's taken me a long time to realize if I get a bad email or something bad happens, that's okay. I mean, bad things have happened in the past. I'm still here. So what's the worst that can possibly happen? Nothing. But too often we allow other people to decide how we're going to feel. And then we are, we are upset about the outcome yes. when we've allowed ourselves to feel a certain way. It's our choice. We've said, okay, I'm going to be a victim in this situation, or I'm going to be the helpless person, or I'm going to be the person who says, how do I use this to become better at what I'm doing? How do I thank this person for giving me this opportunity and making my life so hard that I'm going to pick up a valuable skill that I'm going to use in the future? It's like when children blame their parents. I'm thinking, okay, 
but they're also responsible for all the good things about you. So if you're going to blame them for the bad things, blame them for the good things as well. And, and that's the choice. You can be the victim and say that, well, my parents treated me badly. Or you can say, well, my parents made me who I am. It's the story you give yourself. 100%. 100%. It's just that it's easy to make excuses. It's easy yes. to do all of those things. There's no effort that comes at all with thinking the wrong thoughts or thinking defeating thoughts or blaming something else. So what do we do? We go to the easiest thing to do. But to make the effort to think in a different way and, and search for other perspectives and ways to look at how something can benefit you and have that resiliency of saying, okay, no, maybe this was supposed to teach me something, or maybe this was supposed to make me realize that it's time to grow in another way or take action in a new way or re-envision re something. That, I think that once you see it happen a couple of times in your life, and you see, wow, you know, if that didn't happen, I might not have made this other effort that led yes. me to something better. And I think that once you see it and believe it and trust it, then you, you see more of that. Um, you know, and a lot of people will say, well, I'm naturally an optimist or I'm naturally a pessimist. And while that might be someone's kind of quote unquote natural set point or what they've decided to accept as so, whether they accepted it themselves or someone else told them that, you're still a grown-up now. Yes. Now it becomes a choice. Yes, and of course, I've never seen a naturally sad baby. So at some point, you decided to be a naturally sad person, right? That's right. That's right. And I think that I will always try to look beyond, and I will say, okay, this feels really bad right now, or I'm really disappointed about this, but... What, have, what are other people dealing with that is much worse? And therefore, I am feeling gratitude now and being grateful for what I have or what I have to do to grow. Like it, it can always be worse. When I coach people for terrible, and this is going to sound like a really strange analogy, but it's very effective. When I have someone who's deathly afraid of public speaking and they don't want to get in front of the camera, in front of the room, I will have them play a little mind game with themselves yeah. and I will say, would you rather be here right now or now picture yourself at the deathbed of a loved one that you're about to lose, that you care for more than anything in the world? Would you rather be there or here in front of this room or camera right now? And I think you know that what their easy answer would be. Yes. And they put such a less price on the whole situation. Yeah, what you've done is you've used emotional juxtaposition. You've given them options. Which one do you want to pick? You've given them agency over their emotion. They get to pick where they want to be. And that's a very powerful technique. One of the techniques I use is something called the curse of marginal success. Sometimes people have marginal success at something whereby they'll get 10% of what they wanted to get. And they think, if I just work harder for five years, I'll get 50%. But they don't get 50%. They just get marginal success for a long time. So whenever clients fail miserably, I'll say, this is a good answer because now you know it doesn't work and you can move on. If you got part of the answer, part of the success, you're going you're gonna to be torn up inside of what do I do? Do I invest here? Do I leave it? But now you know the answer. You can walk away. It's a clean break, no regrets. You tried zero success. Don't feel bad about it.
emotionally you feel bad, but you know it's okay to walk away. But so it's all about framing things. Yes, and I and I like that, and I think that is an excellent approach. But I am curious then, what do you say if it isn't that? If they they aren't someone who just failed and now they have that clean break? What if it truly is the case that they've had marginal success and they don't know how now to get beyond to do fantastic and and have that hundred percent success? What do you say in that case then? In that case, it's also simple. I just tell them, tell me what you plan to do to move it forward? And why do you think this will work? Let's, let's do a what if scenario. What if we do this? What if we do this? What if we do this? I use the word, so what, so what, so what, so what, and keep playing out the scenarios for them. Oftentimes they'll come to the answer and realize that they just hope, but they don't really know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. See, hope is a very funny thing for humans. It's the thing that keeps us going. Yeah. And it's the thing that keeps us going when we shouldn't be going in a certain direction. And you've got to get them to say, so what? Why do you think this time it will be different? Mm-hmm. And oftentimes they'll tell you, well, I've done the research. Well, what research did you do? Why do you know this is going to work? And usually after about eight times of asking them, so what? They become upset. And when someone becomes upset, you know they don't have an answer. Right. And then you don't have to say anything. You just have to let them think about it. Yes. So we both use very similar techniques. And what's interesting about it is it all comes down to psychology. Yes. You can have the best tools, you can have the nicest smile, but if you don't use it because you're in the wrong state, right. it takes you nowhere. Patricia, thank you so much for a very, very good podcast. I really enjoyed it. Is there anything you want to add before we wrap up? Uh, no, I really enjoyed all of your, it wasn't even question and answer. This is a wonderful conversation. I enjoyed it thoroughly. I would love to have the chance to do it again. I feel like I could talk to you for hours. So thank you for that. I appreciate that. It was a gift for me today. And uh, I, you just touched on so many things. And literally the way that my entire book opens is all about the state, the state of is everything and how you start that. So I think that to just wrap it up, that talking about that state of whether it's confidence or how we show up to anything each day is the first place that we should focus on, check in on, and make sure it is the right launching pad for our day or whatever that situation is we're about to go into. Excellent way to end. I also thoroughly enjoyed speaking to you. I hope we will do a follow-up podcast and I'll ask the team to set it up. Great. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and, and so, so many great questions. Thank you. Take care. Ciao. And that's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed doing the episode. Finally, I want you to remember that the only way to get access to our special offers, the only way to get our special pricing, and the only way to get samples of our content is to join the list on firmsconsulting.com. It's the only way also to get access to our unique advanced content that we make available to insiders. So if you want to get a sneak peek of things, test it out, see what's in there, this is the place to go. And finally, I want to thank you again for making us one of the largest podcast channels around the world for careers and for the 2 million downloads and counting.